You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that it. Today, we got a special guest. You probably don't know who he is, but his name is Dusty Evely. Um, he does <laughs> he does some stuff on, uh, on you know writing and podcasting and He's got a little bit of a Twitter following, not quite like I have, but it's it's something, I guess. <laughs> but um, I, I, I guess you're going to have to probably introduce yourself a little bit because, again, nobody knows who you are. So if you could just sure. let everybody know real quick, that'd be great. Yeah, Dusty Evely, uh, honestly, longtime uh, Packernet uh, podcast listener. So I'm excited to be on here. And yeah, I've been doing this on and off for, I don't know, man, uh, nine years, started writing, podcasting, started video breakdown. I'm over with cheesehead pack a report uh pack a day for podcast stuff now and my own youtube stuff that i just the youtube thing i, I don't push too much i don't i don't like production values it's like i want to spend five minutes to walk through a play and i don't particularly care what it looks or sounds like so that's been kind of fun and freeing to kind of just just do that i leave in the mistakes i don't really care um but yeah yeah just uh you know kind of kicking around a little little bit of everywhere on the internet and, and hyped to be here man this is the first time I've invited somebody on that actually likes my show. I should do that more often now that I think about it. That's actually really, that's pretty a, a good idea. It's, also, a, it's a solid plan. Is what it yeah, is. no, it's, geez, that, that's kind of intuitive, I guess. Um, <laughs> it also makes a lot of sense with, with YouTube, and that's part of the reason why I keep getting away from it, because I'm obsessed with trying to make that look good. I don't know why, mm-hmm. because I don't do that with my podcast at all. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm always wanting to, and then I just get halfway in and oh, I'm not doing this. This whole time I've been off. This, this weekend, and now I'm homesick. It's like, I'm, I'm doing YouTube. I'm doing this. I spent probably an hour doing like a mock draft. I just quit. I'm like, this is stupid. I don't want to do this anymore. This is not fun. <laughs> I'm bored. I made it to pick five. It's been, it's been an hour. Like, this is just taking too long. Nobody wants to watch this. I don't even want to do this. So I don't know what I'm doing anymore. This well, is, this in is... mine, I, I stripped my face out of it, man, because I started doing like yeah. I was doing breakdowns. I had my face in the corner, and I was like, I'm never looking at the screen. I'm not paying attention because I don't care if the camera's there. So my face is gone. I've got nothing on there. It's literally just the plan me drawing, and it is. It's so freeing to know that nobody can see me. I love yeah. it. Just embrace, embrace uh, having zero production values, right? And I really recommend it. I should try. That. I should probably just embrace that this is my thing and just leave it alone. But I, I just can't do that. But I'll. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, all right. So obviously, first of all, I was just kidding with the, the, everybody knows who Dusty is. I just wanted to feel like you're on my podcast. I, I you know, I got a, it's like a power thing, you know? No, I get um, it, man. Listen, you want to try to lower my chair? I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. Um, <laughs> my car probably faster. I don't know. Probably not stupid car. Um, <laughs> real quick before we get into football, because mm-hmm. one of the things that you also are, known for is you're kind of into horror movies and yes, I'm, sir. I'm not exactly sure how you got into that but 
something that I don't know if I've mentioned or not on this podcast. I used to be very, very obsessed with horror movies. That was my dad got me into that. I'm talking at really inappropriate ages. My earliest memories <laughs> of movies, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was yes, one of the first movies I remember watching or being terrified. And the only thing I really remembered of it, I went back and watched it after. But the only memory I have way back then was the scene when they walk in and there's like people on hooks and then the guy comes out with the chains. But in my in my mind, it was just like this high pitched screaming sound of that guy when he was running. And it just scared me to death. And I was having nightmares and everything else. But somehow through the trauma, I loved horror movies. And so, you know, back in the day, you go to the uh, movie stores where you'd rent out movies and you'd rent out games and we'd get to rent out two games and a movie. And I would just go straight to the horror section. So <laughs> first of all, how did you get into horror movies? I'm just curious about that. Honestly, somewhat recent. I watched uh, a few as a kid. I had a cousin that was really big into horror. Um, I, I grew up in a, a very conservative household, so we didn't really watch horror. I didn't have any of that. Uh, like my dad making me watch horror at a young age. I remember watching Evil Dead 2 and, uh, and Dead Alive in my cousin's basement uh, in Michigan when I was very young. And I was kind of drawn to it, uh, you know, and even like the same thing. You go to the movie store. And some of the, there's still some of those covers that stick me out. I think of like the dead pit or something. I never watched them. I just remember the covers. Yeah. It really wasn't until like, I think mid twenties. I don't even know what clicked. I think we saw, saw the ring and uh, uh, maybe the Dawn of the dead remake. And I was like, Oh, I think I might like this. And then something just clicked. And it uh, kind of went from an interest to kind of an obsession now where that's the majority of what I watch. And I'm not entirely sure how that happened or when that happened. Uh, my wife tells me I'm, I'm a, a happy person by nature, just, just genuinely the kind of a decent natured person. And I need darkness to drag me back down. So that's, that's kind of where I go with now. It's just, it's the darkness. I need to balance myself. I think. So I, we, we, I guess we kind of had opposite paths because as I got older, it, I don't, I don't know if horror movies just got either less good or if I just kind of grew to a point where it's like, I don't know, it's not really doing it for me anymore. But um, just going back when I was, kind of waiting to, to talk with you. I'm like, oh, we should talk about horror stuff. And I'm looking at, I just looked up top 100 horror films and I'm looking at, I'm like, man, this just brings me back to my childhood. Some of these movies are <laughs> just fantastic. You know, I mean, just classics, obviously. The Exorcist, mm-hmm. Halloween, um, Rosemary's Baby, Blair Witch Project, um, uh, Amityville Horror. I loved that one. I watched that yeah. numerous times. Um, all these different, do you have a favorite horror movie? It's probably, uh, it, it depends on the day. I, I usually tell people it's likely, it's usually Halloween. Um, Halloween's kind of okay. just an all-time favorite. That, that you know, kind of classic slasher. Now all the tropes are kind of based off of that. But I love the characters and that, the way that's written, the tension, all of that. Um, Psycho is another one that's always up there for me. Like just a beautiful, beautiful movie that's just so well done. Still, I mean, just the tension in that one is great. Um, the Burbs, you know, kind of fits into that. That was one of my first introductions of horror, that kind of horror comedy. So I was a big, big fan <laughs> of The Burbs. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think probably those Texas, Texas Chainsaw is up there just when I saw that. Um, I think I saw Texas Chainsaw until I was like in my 30s. And a visceral reaction to that movie. Like it's yeah. not it's not like a movie I thought it was going to be. It's just it's it's dark and it's gritty. And it's just I felt like I was there. I don't know. But yeah, I'd say probably uh, it's usually a toss between Halloween and Psycho is probably like the favorite of all time. I think Blair Witch is up there just in terms of like the reaction I had and when yeah. I watched that and all of that. But eh, let's say Halloween or Psycho. Those are, those are solid picks, I think. Blair Witch was, that messed me up. And, and it yeah. was largely because at the time, I don't know about you, but I thought it was a real 
thing. Like I, I yeah. thought that that was a re- like they actually found these tapes and this is real. That freaked me out on a on a deep level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like the like earlier, the uh, Cannibal Holocaust was late 70s it was the same thing. There was actually a lawsuit over that one because they thought the director actually like killed people um, right. <laughs> that it provide evidence they didn't. But, but yeah, Blair Witch, same thing. I saw that either right when it came out. I think actually I think someone uh, got a copy of that slightly before it came out. We didn't know anything about it. And we thought it was real. And I think they kept those actors under wraps. So yeah, same way. I thought it was real. They found those tapes. Just utterly terrifying and then we went we went camping a week later which was a very <laughs> poor decision yeah I, uh the, the one other memory i had i was this was when we were in the brick house so i it would we left there when i was in first grade so six-ish years old but it was candy man and i remember yeah. i woke up for some reason at like one o'clock in the morning and i'm like i'm doing it man i'm, I'm just gonna go do it the whole house <laughs> is asleep it's dark i went downstairs into the bathroom i looked into the mirror i said it once and I ran screaming back to my bedroom. I didn't. I didn't have the guts to do it. But yeah, I I, I absolutely love. It. I think my favorite was probably it. Um, okay. I watched that over and over. I don't know why because I had like recurring nightmares about it. But um, anyways, yeah. nobody wants to hear me talk about horror movies all day. But I again, it, it was like a really big passion of mine when I was younger. And I know you're very much into it. And um, I've asked you for some recommendations recently, and there are some pretty good ones out there. Um, usually the reason I don't is because when I go on Netflix and watch a horror movie, I get 20, 30 minutes in. I'm like, this is so stupid. I don't know if you yeah, saw the Netflix one with like the, iffy. the cornfield or whatever that one was. Did you, uh, in the tall grass? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I didn't. So that's based on a, a Stephen King, Joe Hill short story. Okay. And the short story is real, real good. Um, because they kind of get you in, they get you out, they set you up. It's, it's, it's a Stephen King short story. I saw the preview for the movie and I was like, no, nah, because the, the short story is like, I don't know. 20 30 pages like i'm not watching 90 minutes of this like there's yeah. there's no way they know what they're doing so no i netflix is hit or miss i usually i try to keep keep in advance of like what's coming up and especially with all the the covid stuff with a lot of the the vod um hitting the same time theatrical we got to see a lot of fun stuff but yeah no usually i'll watch a trailer and go that's gonna be trash and sometimes i'll still watch it because i, I right. don't like myself as a person but <laughs> i can tell in advance whether it's gonna be good or not generally <laughs> I don't know why I watched that whole thing, but I did, and I would not recommend it. <laughs> All right. I want to start off with, let's just get it out of the way. I want to talk about the uh, the, the playoff game against the 49ers. Um, it's, there, there probably is going to be some overlap. I just recently did an interview with uh, Coach Hahn and Sam Holman. They do similar mm-hmm. things to what you do with film breakdown and those kinds of things. And I just want to kind of get a general view of things. So a couple of the generally same questions, but just – what was your assessment overall of that game? Um, the, the positives and the negatives, and I, I guess more specifically, how much blame does Aaron Rodgers shoulder in your opinion for that game? Yeah. First of all, that, I mean, that podcast with, with coach Han and Sam was great. They both, I mean, so coach Han's energy is, is tremendous. I always love listening <laughs> to him and uh, Sam, I, I've mentioned this before. Sam is a guy who uh, just blows me away. I've been doing this, like I said, like nine years or something. Sam came out of the scene like this year, maybe in season and seems yeah. like a fully formed version of, of kind of what he's doing. So listen to them kind of talk about the game was tremendous. Um, I think, and I've gone through the game a couple of times. I was actually going through it again uh, before uh, before we started recording because, again, I don't have a high opinion of myself, and and I've been through I've been through 2014. Man, this can't hurt me anymore. Uh, 
I think Aaron Rodgers shoulders some of the blame. I think less than a lot of people uh, say. I think there was there was a clip that was running around on Twitter and a lot of other places as well that was the final throw. You know, it's kind of one of those sure. was just the final throw of his in Green Bay and all of that stuff, where it was locked on to Devontae Adams and he chucked it up. And well, he's always looking at Adams. He's always looking at Adams, and that's the lasting image. So I feel like that's kind of the narrative that's taken over. And there's some of that. Um, so when I when I've rewatched a few times. There's times where he, you know, is looking at Adams first, not really looking to force it, but he's looking at Adams first, like a pre-snap read, looking for him to, to win immediately and then toss it to him. And then when that doesn't pan out, sometimes it's kind of panic mode because you're looking at, without getting too deep into it, a lot of times Adams is the ISO guy away from the concept. So if you're looking at the ISO guy first and you're looking three-step drop, ripping it to him, and that gets covered up because of a quick post-snap movement you're late coming back to the concept and that kind of muddies the picture. So you're not sure how everything moved. And so there was some of that. I know, you know, especially, you know, kind of second quarter as the game went on, I think one of the biggest things, and he was, he wasn't sharp. Um, you know, even sure. some of the balls he was hitting, um, you know, the Deguara drop was, was a bad drop, but that kind of, he had to kind of reach back for him. It hit him in the gut as he was running and you need to put that out in front of him. A couple of the atoms that were relatively low. So things like that. Um, but I think the I think the locking on to me is is somewhat of an overblown narrative. I think he um, sure. I think he he did do that on occasion, which he'll do. I mean, I, I think what I always try to keep in mind too is listen, man, Devonte Adams is the number one. Like, what's the other option? Like, you don't look at your number one first ever. Like, what's right. what's what's the answer there? Um, I, he could have played better. I think some of his reads he was not necessarily all that quick on, but also some of it. I mean, a lot of it honestly was hats off to the 49ers defense. They did a tremendous job. That front four was getting pressure all day. And we know if you get pressure with your front four, you can drop guys, you can you can do a whole bunch of extra stuff. Well, kind of what they're doing with their linebackers. They had a lot of those guys kind of mugging the A gap. And so you've got, you know, you got the you have to respect that as the offensive line. I don't think they brought any of those guys until eh, until the, the fourth quarter. But generally, when you have a mug in the A gap, if they fall off, they fall back into kind of standard hook zone, spot drop zone. So Packers have answers for that throughout the year. And so you get this kind of they widen out, middle of the field's open, you hate play action behind it, you run a kind of glance route off of it where you're throwing behind the guy's ear holes, he's dropping back. Like you've got answers for that. The 49ers were dropping those guys in a million different ways because it was Dre Greenlaw played well and Fred Warner played well. And so you had Fred Warner carrying the guy up the seam, up the middle is kind of a Tampa two look kind of this double coverage thing. So these, these looks that a lot of teams don't give them. And honestly, a lot of looks that the Niners hadn't really shown a ton of leading up to that point. I think going into that game, I've gone back through some of their games and went, they'll disguise some stuff. But a lot of times what they show you pre-snap is, is who they are. And they did a whole lot of stuff post-snap and they've, they had the players to do it. You know, they, they basically, they effectively took away intermediate, uh, so it's basically you throw short or you throw long and then it's time to throw long. So, um, again, I, the, Rogers is not blameless. He locked on sometimes he was off with his reads. He had their plays there to be made, but hats off to the Niners defense on a lot of that because they played just extraordinarily well. I think that, I think the Niners, I think the game turns different if MVS is in, I think they were sorely lacking speed. You had Lazard running routes that MVS typically runs, but. Um, I think it was, you're not, not a total team failure by any stretch of the imagination, you know, guys played well, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that's it, everything goes on the quarterback. And I get that. Um, I think there's, I think there's shared blame. And also, again, the guys on the other side get paid to play and uh, Niners had a really, really good game plan and everyone I think uh, did very, very well, except for the one bust uh, on that mesh, the, the, that play before the half where Aaron Jones got loose for 60 some odd yards up the sideline they really were assignment sure and just flying to the ball. So that was probably way too long. Uh, but uh, that's the overall impressions from the offensive side. 
So, um, well, I, I guess before we switch off of that real quick, you, you, we did talk about the uh, the failures on the offense. Might as well talk about the positives. The defense was was quite good in that game. And mm-hmm. in, in, in fact, because I, I kind of talked about this a couple of days ago on the podcast, as far as we saw some real brilliant glimmers from the defense. You look at the Chiefs game, you look at this game, you look at some of those games where you just look at it and go, this defense is something special. And then some games, it's like, this is this is classic Packers defense. Um, what was it specifically you thought that was so good about the Packers in this game and maybe some of those other games in which things really clicked as opposed to maybe some areas where they just kind of struggled? What what When it's working, what's working? I mean, some of, it, some of it's aggressiveness when those guys kind of – I think what's impressed me about Joe Barry this past year, just in general, and I know I think DVOA has him as it's a worse year than Petten and – all of that, which I get that to some extent, but I think what, what I liked about Barry more than what we've seen lately is there's, there's very few busts mm-hmm. um, guys will get beat, but it's not like, Oh, there's suddenly a guy and there's these 30 yards downfield and there's no one around him. And how did that happen? Which is something right. that we've, we've kind of grown accustomed to. And, and Barry for the most part is sound, you know, relatively modern defense. He's got the guys there. So, I mean, when it's working, when they could just dominate guys, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Rashawn Gary had a monster game, just dominating, dominating. I think Z coming, you know, Z being in helped. Um, I think, you know, kind of being solid on the back end. They're really good tacklers. Um, we've seen that a lot. And that was that was also something under Petten as well. But you, when you try to you have a defense, we try to keep stuff in front of you and then you can't tackle. That's a problem. They're very good at tackling. There's and, and I think in the games they played well, uh, they don't really give up a whole lot of bad angles. Uh, you know, when, when it's caught, it's, if it's designed to get five yards, it gets five or six yards because there's a guy right there. People are kind of in their zones. They're playing well off each other. They're passing off assignments and you know, all that. You can, you can just kind of see that on the back end. Like what kind of happens post snap, this guy goes vertical. That means this guy replaces here. Like it's, it looks really, really nice when it's working. So I think it's one of those, like when everyone's in sync and everyone's kind of functioning well and everyone's doing their job, that's, it works well. The problem is, you know, and they looked good for the most of the season. But like you said, those those games when they didn't, they didn't look great. And part of that, I you know, is that I, it's tough to get a handle on that with as many guys were missing. How much of that is coaching versus how much of that is personnel and you're kind of filtering guys in and out. So, you know, I liked I liked what they were doing with Kevin King late in the year. They kind of had him almost as an inside linebacker on some of uh, some pass rush stuff, kind of mugging an A gap and falling back. But uh, I think I think the games when they're good, it was more kind of assignment sure, everyone kind of doing their jobs firing down recognition was good, but uh, you know, when, when they weren't like, it seemed like everything went bad when they weren't, but that they really, I think for me, it's that when the front four can dominate, when you get those dominant performances, which it's easy to say, I think any defense that gets dominant defensive performances on the line is going to do well, but you get, you get a couple guys that can wreck a game and sometimes you'll see them wreck a game. And I mean, that's just, that's, it's nice to see. It's just not always going to happen. So I want to switch gears uh, real quick. I, I've been trying to think how to ask this question pretty much all day, and I, I have not figured it out. So it's, it's going to sound stupid, but just bear with me. <laughs> I want to talk about our new offensive coordinator, Adam Senovich. And, and I think part of the, the, the issue I have is for me and I think a lot of other people, the assumption is there's just kind of a hierarchy of, of coaches. So we've got mm-hmm. we have an offensive head coach. So that's that's our number one offensive guy. And then you got your offensive coordinator. That's the number two guy. And I think after that, we think, well, the quarterback coach, that's the that's the next best offensive mind. And then it kind of filters down from there. Um, I, I, I kind of want to not necessarily dispel that, but um, talk about the possibility that maybe we didn't just get, quote unquote, stuck with the third best option with Hackett now gone and our quarterback mm-hmm. co- coach now gone. And we got Stenovich here For being sort of a, a 
a film guy, if you wanted to understand fundamentally Matt LaFleur's offense, if you could sit down for a full day and pick anybody's brain, and and obviously it's it's hard to know because you don't know these guys in person, but I'm just, yeah. I'm just trying to think through this in terms of you want to understand the concepts of how this offense works. Do you want to talk to the quarterback guy, the offensive line guy, the tight end guy? Do, do, do you have an, an idea of which guy is going to give you the best insight into how the offense works? I mean, it's, you know, uh, outside of, like you said, LaFleur, we're going to ditch him. Right. Um, and some of the titles almost seem like they're just kind of their titles because they want to keep guys passing game coordinator. Sure. For example, example, you know, that that's, that's different in every system. I think um, it feels like the, my answer is going to play right into kind of the angle we're taking here. And I swear that's not intentional, but I think specifically in this system, when you're talking about the kind of that wide zone blocking system, everything flows off of that. I mean, the O-line guy does seem like the guy. I mean, you've got the, if you're looking at, uh, you know, wide receiver or quarterback or even tight end to some extent, tight end will kind of work that hybrid area, but you, you're looking at what does the passing game do? What is, right. you know, or what are the blocking assignments in that part of the game? But so much of the wide zone system is based off of exactly what it sounds like. It's based off that wide zone run. And so it's, how do we, and that's something I know Bakhtiari kind of talked about. I think uh, the off season, LaFleur came in, if I'm not mistaken, when he was talking about kind of the, the differences in, I think it was, it was a conversation with Robert Mays, if I'm not mistaken, the differences in the offense. And he was saying like, they never really sold play action before, you know, you start watching play action and you're trying to, you're, you're triggering, you're trying to pull those linebackers up to do that. That's not just the action of looking like you're handing the ball to the running back. It's also offensive line keys. And so you're trying to, when you say illusion of complexity is the big LaFleur thing or anything in the system, mm -hmm. right? You want everything to look the same. That's not just, we want these guys, oh, we're looking, we're making this look the same. But we're running out of a different concept. It's more than that. It's you're trying to make even the offensive line, look the same. You're trying to play action. You're trying to trigger reaction from the linebackers based on the movement of the offensive line to open up stuff downfield. So I think, I don't know if that's true of every single system, um, but sure. I think especially in, in wide zone where everything's based around them I and there's, I mean, there's, there's wide zone and then inside zone and, and duo and pitch outside zone, I guess are your four main runs, but then play action boot and all the stuff that comes off of that, like the main passing concepts in the play action game all plays off of what that offensive line action looks like. And so, I mean, I think you go a couple different directions, but I think specifically in this system, I think offensive line coach makes a whole lot of sense just in, in terms of the thought process of the build of the offense itself. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't want to lead you too much, but <laughs> I, uh, that was kind of my thought process. I was, as I was thinking about it, because everyone's kind of acting, like I said, as though we, all the best guys got poached and we get stuck with the next best guy. And I, I was just thinking about, and you mentioned tight end. I thought if, if it's not offensive line, maybe tight ends coach would be another one because you're dealing with the, the blocking scheme, but also you got to mm -hmm. understand the receiving aspect and the passing game and all that kind of stuff. But um, especially then you, when you look at Adam Stenovich and his history with the 49ers and all that, I'm, I'm just thinking, I don't know if there's a guy that's, that's left of our coaches, or even if you include, you know, Getzy and some of those other guys, I don't know that there is a guy that, that you would want in terms of promoting to offensive coordinator that just gets it as well as he does. It's, it's a, it's a brand new thought, but as I was thinking through it, I'm like, you know, what? I, I'm just going to ask him if you could pick anybody's brain, who, whose brain would you pick? And I, I'm, I'm thinking it's Stenovich. I, I think I'm right. I think it, it is. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I think you are right about that, right? Yes. See, <laughs> I'm a smart football guy too. Dusty said so. So now nobody, That's right. That's nobody right. can say otherwise. All right. So, Let's um, I want to kind of do an inventory of our uh, team real quickly. 
kind of did this a little bit with the other guys, but I just want to kind of get your perspective on it. Um, and I want to talk first of all about wide receiver, but I want to talk about a guy that I forgot to mention with them. I want to ask you about Amari Rogers. We didn't get a ton of uh, looks at Amari Rogers, but everybody in Packers nation is ready to be done with him. He wasn't a great special teamer. So we just want to fire the guy. Did you have any thoughts on Amari? Was there anything kind of redeeming about him? Um, things that they were maybe trying to do working on, didn't quite get to and, and looking into the future. Are you still having a little bit of hope? And what do you want to see out of the guy? I, I love Amari Rogers so much. Now, some of this, Thanks. it's maybe less what we've seen this year. And I'm not a huge draft guy. I, you know, sure. I, I, I put a lot of time in during the season. So when the draft comes along, it's, I don't know, there's a thousand people looking to the draft. So I will read their work. I'm not going to do anything myself. And then I don't read their work. I just talk to my brother about it right before the draft. And that's how I, that's how I pick up my notes is generally how this works. Uh, but I was huge on Amari Rogers. I mean, I, I love Randall Cobb and just the Amari Rogers, not just his story um, where he's got the, you know, the Cobb connection, all that, but by, by all accounts, I mean, going back to high school and then through college and then even, you know, the, the draft stuff and come up through the pros, the book on him is basically like, man, listen, he's, he's going to work. He's going to, he's sitting out with that playbook every day. He wants to get better. He's working. He's a smart guy, good work ethic. He's going to apply himself. And so that that's, that's kind of where I start my, okay. Regardless of what we saw on the field this year. And a lot of it, you know, wasn't great. The kick return, punt return stuff wasn't great. Why, why was he still out there? I don't know, right. but he didn't do a ton on the field. You know, they had him some of the jet sweep stuff and they had him running kind of wheels off of that. Like, I kind of like how they used him, but he didn't get a whole lot of play, but it always seemed to me. I mean, even, even before the Cobb trade, honestly, was this is more or less, I didn't expect him to do much. I mean, right. for, uh, receivers, rookie receivers, don't do a ton generally anyway. Now, obviously, you know, we've seen very recent exceptions to that with Jamar Chase and uh, uh, Jefferson the year before that. But this is a third round rookie who, right. uh, you know, was injured, I think, you know, the previous year. I think his tour is ACL and kind of come back early his senior year, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, this was always a get him out there in some packages. I, I would have liked to see him more in the backfield, see what he can do, kind of get get his feet wet a little bit. But year two was always kind of the year. And to me, he seemed like, I, I it's incremental upgrades is kind of how I view some of this stuff. I saw um, Alan Lazard uh, was, he's a, and he's, he's grown into a better blocker, but he was a better version of Geronimo Allison. Like he's not flashy. He's not fast. He's got better hands than Geronimo Allison. He's where he needs to be. He's kind of a possession guy. All right. Mario Rogers strikes me as an upgrade over Lazard. I think he, he can be, uh, we haven't seen a ton of it yet, but he can be a dog in the in the blocking game. We, we, we've seen some of that. Just I don't think his full potential yet. Rookie year is, is weird. Uh, and again, I, th I think he's just his build size. I think you can be a little more creative with him, see him in the, put him in the backfield. So I don't think he's he's not going to be a game breaker. He's certainly not a wide receiver one, but it's like wide receiver two, wide receiver. He's not super explosive. I think that's the, that's one of the problems. But I think it's like your wide receiver three that you can line up in the backfield as a gimmicky guy. Like I think he's got a really, really nice future in this offense. So I've kind of one of those, I, I don't know, you know, people draw conclusions about a third round rookie. Um, and that's, and that's fine. I just didn't expect much from him this year, but I, I just knowing his makeup, I loved him coming out of college. I'm, I'm, big on Amari Rogers. Now, if he comes out next year and stinks, I'm going to feel real, real bad about that. Um, but I'm, I'm very high on him. Yeah. And I, I had mentioned that as well. And I think even, especially with the Packers, they, they very, they bring people on real, real slow. AJ Dillon. Mm -hmm. We hardly ever, every time we saw him, he was great. We still didn't play him very much. Um, Josiah Aguara, 
it's it's like I just want to see more of them. They're like, yeah, just just little tastes here and there, and then it slowly starts to build, and he slowly gets a little bit more. Now mm-hmm. he's going to be going into year three, and I think that's when we're he's really going to start to see a little bit more here and there. So, yeah, people need to be a little bit. Doesn't mean he's going to be good, right? But you got to be patient with the guy after one year, especially with all these other wide receivers. The idea that we're just going to say no, Lazard and MVS, you guys got to sit. We drafted this guy; he's really strong. So you guys got to sit because the fans want to watch Amari Rot. That's silliness. <laughs> um, I am going to ask you one question that I, that I asked them Um, MVS and Lazard. What are your thoughts in terms of the contributions that those particular styles of wide receivers bring to this specific scheme? Forget the names, but you got the big speed guy on one side and you got sort of the bigger possession. Like you said, Geronimo Allison convert that third down for you blocker, which I don't know. I don't want to say something stupid, like which is more important, but um, how much value do you think each of those things bring to this system? And moving forward, assuming we can't keep both of them, um, let's just say we're going to invest in one of those guys, and he's going to be a big upgrade in the draft. Which one do you want to see? I think uh, well, I was I was actually thinking about this yesterday um, in terms of the Lazard MVS thing because I think in a vacuum, uh, and this is kind of what we saw against the Niners. I think in a vacuum, if things are going well, if you're operating the offense as kind of you would like to operate the offense, it's it's Lazard because you can kind of you can put him in as your extra blocker. You get the extra, I don't know, extra beef. Do I say that extra beef back in the backfield there? You can uh, Brian, if you want. That, I'd rather you didn't say. Does that, that get edited out? <laughs> Here, let me hit the. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, he, he, he does, he works for, if you, if you think about the idealized version of this offense, I think Lazard is the guy just because of what he can give you in the run game. And then what can give you in the pass game. I think of uh, that big, I think it was the touchdown against the Rams in the divisional round uh, last year. That was kind of a, they kept hammering outside zone, hammering outside zone. And Lazard is kind of that, that down blocker and he keeps selling that block and he's kind of sealing off that safety and he's digging that out. And then they start reacting to that and then they call the same thing. And then he releases up the field and they get a touchdown out of it. Like when you think of this offense and those kind of those shot plays you like to take that you build into your offense, it's Lazard. But MVS gives you, I think, a better mar- And again, if you want to strip the names away, that's fine. The bigger speed guy gives you a margin for error that, uh, that you, that Lazar doesn't give you, that the slower blocking guy doesn't give you. You have to, again, if you're creating on schedule, if you're operating as you want to, an idealized version, Lazard's the guy. But MVS, that, that speed, it just it it doesn't it doesn't allow the uh, the safeties to kind of box you in. Uh, you don't allow them to creep up. It, it it makes the corners back up a little bit. It gives you more space everywhere. It opens up the route tree for that specific receiver. It opens up. Uh, passing and even running underneath. If you've got a speed guy on the outside and you're running him on a go route on a running play, you're taking likely a safety with you as well as the quarterback. So you're making kind of that run fit now becomes lighter. And so, and especially if then if it's not idealized, if it's something like the Niners uh, this past week and they're squeezing you a little bit or two weeks ago, I guess they're squeezing you and they're squeezing you. You've got an answer for that because you've got you've got a speed guy that can kind of that threaten them. They can they can never be too aggressive by trying to creep up there because you've got that speed there. So, um, which I think then that that leads very well into who I'm going to pick. You can probably guess. I mean, I w- I would go with the speed guy. Sure. I think again, I think especially with if we're talking about the Packers specifically. Again, I'm high on Amari Rogers. Maybe I'm too high on Amari Rogers. Uh, if Lazard's not there, but Amari Rogers is there and he can approximate, you know, I don't know, 70% of what Lazard was last year. And also allows you to keep MVS, which gives you that element of speed. 
I think you have to do that. So I'm, I'm very much, um, I'm very, I very much defer to speed uh, on that stuff. I know you lose something um, if Lazard's not there, but I just think speed gives you uh, speed gives you a, a bigger margin for error. I believe. It's a very random time to do this, but uh, we're going to take a real quick break and then we'll come back and we'll kind of continue ripping through this. I feel like we've been talking for, it's about time to take a break period of time. So that's what we're going to do. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so I want to, uh, I want to take a look now at tight ends, kind of a slow transition toward the offensive line, which is the biggest thing I want to talk about. But um, I'm so torn on tight end because we've got guys, but mm-hmm. I don't know how good any of them are. <laughs> and I also don't know if should, should we try to upgrade them or do we, do we have, I'm a big fan of Josiah DeGuara. I think, um, you know, Mercedes Lewis, maybe we get one more year out of them. Everybody, not me as much, but everybody's a massive fan of Robert Tunyon. Are we good at tight end in your opinion, or was there something that you'd like to see uh, assuming Mercedes sticks around? Is is there something you'd like to see uh, getting upgraded? I think it's a position that could use upgrade for sure. I mean, I think they are, um, they're certainly better. I think a couple of years ago, I was really concerned about the depth Um, because at that point, Tunyon hadn't shown much and and there's a whole bunch of other issues. But when Tunyon came on, that kind of helped a little bit. So, I mean, I'm with you. I like, I like to He needs to get his hands cleaned up, man. Like he's got, 
everything about the position down except catching the ball. Like he's, he knows where to be in the run game and he'll bury guys in the run game and he runs a nice route and he's got speed and he just can't catch a ball to save his life sometimes. So he's get better at that. Like you said, Mercedes Lewis, I, uh, I was like high, relatively high, I guess. I like Tyler Davis, just the, the makeup of him kind of reminded me of Tunyon kind of that, that late convert to tight end. That was kind of a toolsy guy that maybe you can teach to be a good tight end. So I kind of thought after this year, Tony was going to walk and I kind of Tyler Davis pegged to be kind of the next guy up. And I don't, I, I doubt he'll ever be that, but that's, that's a guy to dream on at least kind of a toolsy guy. And then you've got Daphne who is essentially an H back. Like he's kind of a mini Mercedes Lewis, but he's not as good of a blocker. Like he's fine for what they brought in. I think he's a solid guy, but yeah, I mean, I, and I don't, I don't know what the answers are. I know there's some, some guys in the draft. I, I was really high on, uh, was it Tommy Tremble? I think last year, mm-hmm. like a guy like that, I think would have been tremendous, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not, uh, I think there's a lot of areas on the roster that you could get incremental improvement. I think tight end certainly won even with Tunyon back. I think if Tunyon is back, that helps a little because so I'm with you. I mean, I like him. He catches pretty much everything. He's got good tools, uh, good speed, really good hands, fairly good, blo- better blocker than I thought he was going to turn into. Uh, but that it's certainly a, an area I think you can improve. I think it's, it's Deguara who, who, as you mentioned earlier, I think hopefully takes a big jump in year three and then maybe, and then it's kind of some question marks Is Lewis back Is Tunyon back. Does Davis do anything? So it's, there's not a really like if you look at it, there's not a ton of depth there and a whole lot of question marks. So I, I think it is an area you can look to improve. So the offensive line, you know, something that you brought up and they brought up um, the way to beat the Green Bay Packers, if you can, I mean, or any team, really, if you can rush for and get home, that's a problem. And that then that has been that has been kind of the Packers undoing. And it seems like when a team's able to do that, you kind of know it's just going to be a long day. Right. Aaron Rodgers really mm-hmm. struggles. Not because he's bad at anything. It's just because all quarterbacks are going to struggle with that. you got nowhere to throw the ball, and you got people in your face all day long. Um, in terms of what you've actually seen from the offensive linemen, I know we had a ton of injuries, so we get some guys back, and some of that naturally gets cleaned up. But I do think, in my opinion, we're going to be moving in a direction of trying to really improve the offensive line. What does that look like to you? If we're going to improve the offensive line, what, who, who are we improving? What are we improving? What are the big upgrades that you'd like to be able to see this team make? Yeah, I mean, you hope Bakhtiari's back to full strength next right. year. I don't know if you read um, Cheesehead TV had an interview with with him about and he went, in, that, went yeah. in depth on his knee. Listen, man, I don't know a whole lot about knee stuff, but that sounds gnarly and not great. So at this point, it's I hope he's back to 100%. So if he's back to 100%, yeah, him left tackle, I really like what Runyon showed this year. Um not perfect, but I think he's, I think he showed quite a, I, I think he's, he's solid at that guard spot. So I like him there. Myers, I, I feel like I didn't have a good grasp on, but I like him fairly well there. So it's really just that right side of the line. If, if yeah. Bakhtiari's back, I like that left side and Elton Jenkins. I mean, at this point, I'm assuming like he misses the bulk of next year. Um, at, at, it's kind of my thought. If he's back early, that'd be nice. But you know, if he's there, then you slot him in, you know, left guard likely and bump running over to right. But I think Royce Newman was, uh, you know, got better as the season went on. I think uh, it, it's hard to get much worse than he was early. You just you run a twist at him, and the man looked like he lost his mind. Uh, so, but I, so we'll see what he does next year. I kind of I. I like his, I like his makeup. I kind of like what he showed down the stretch, but I think you can, you can improve there. And then right tackle. I have no idea about right tackle, man. Like is Billy Turner back? I like Billy Turner. I don't think he's amazing. What is, what happens with the Ash Nyman? So, I mean, think really if Bakhtiari's back, I think the left side is good. The center to left side is good. 
the right side, I think, I think could use some work. I'm sorry that I'm sure picturing Royce Newman losing his mind on a, on a twist was a lot funnier than <laughs> actually watching it on tape. I don't know why I just lost it a little bit there, but I'm good. No, I, just, I, was, I was like, what did I say? He's no, I, just, I, I know you're watching me as I start geeking out. I'm like, I'm not laughing at you, man. I'm just picturing. I don't know. I don't even want to describe what I was picturing. Um, any issues with running back whatsoever? No. Okay. No, Aaron Jones still good. AJ Dillon good. I really like uh, like Patrick Taylor as well. Like kind of what he showed in limited time. So I'm, you know, it sucks that AJ Dillon went out with that broken rib. But uh, no, I think they're I think they're set there. I like that group. All right, defensive side of the ball. Um, Kenny Clark, I think. I PFF, and I, I know this is a whole thing. Don't whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> They haven't been as high on him recently as maybe they were several years ago. Let, let's just say his uh, second year or something like that. Sure. Um, this year was a little bit higher, but even last year, if you look at the numbers, they were they were down a little bit. And, and I'm sure you can you can attribute that to double teams or whatever the case may be. I'm just asking from what you've been watching. Have, have you had any concerns whatsoever in terms of down play, or is he just completely fine? Zero. Zero. I think he's fine. I mean, I think... Okay. I, I, I honestly, I think he turned in his best season of his career this past year. Okay. And maybe that's just me, but yeah, I have zero concerns about Kenny Clark. Okay. Um, in addition to that, then I, I would assume it would be pretty fantastic if we could finally find somebody, no disrespect to Dean Lowry, who seemed to have a, a, a pretty good year, but it would be pretty fantastic if we, if we can get sort of that Mike Daniels, uh, Kenny Clark duo thing going again, where you just get an absolute stud, especially a pass rusher. Would that be something that would be on your wish list? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that, that was my hope. It's a, it's way too high of a hope. That was kind of my hope for, uh, for TJ Slayton is that that's the guy he eventually turns into. Okay. He's got tools. I'm like, man, if he can get a little consistency, like he's just kind of that bowling ball dude in the middle that can, that can move a little. So that, that was, that's, that's my far fetched hope is that TJ Slayton turns into that. Do you, that kind of threw me a little bit. Do you, do you think he's going <laughs> to, but what, what what are your thoughts on on TJ Slayton? Do you do you see him as a a guy that can be a um, a consistently solid pass rusher, or is he a really good run defender that can bring you some pass rush occasionally? I think he's a run defender who's shown some moves. So I think okay. primarily, right. you know, gap guy, uh, run stuffer that will occasionally surprise you with pass rush. Now that's one of those things. If he can refine that, he suddenly turns into a monster. I just sure. that you. Even going back to college, just to have not seen that consistency from him. So I think more run stuffer, and every now and then you you get a nice pass rusher out of him. But that's but that's okay for you as in terms of a guy that you would love to have next to Kenny. That's the style of guy that you think would just be awesome to have. Yeah, next I to think him. so. I mean, ideally, you'd want a big guy who's a pass rusher as well. Right. But like that's that's Aaron Donald, and how many of those guys are out there? On the I was going to say, you know? I was going to say, if if he can be a pass rusher, we're talking Vita Vea, which is why I'm skeptical of that. So I don't really know. <laughs> Not complaining. I just would be surprised if that was the case. Yeah, I like a guy that can just you. I mean, I just I think you collapse the middle, and so whether that's Kenny Clark getting one on ones or you know whatever, if, if TJ Slayton can eat up a couple guys and get a one on one with Kenny Clark, and then you have the edges kind of free, I'll take that. I, I I I'm fine having a guy who's not a great pass rusher if it means listen, he can just he can engage a couple guys and he can move the pocket. He just kind of keeps those engaged, doesn't allow him to get off blocks, and just kind of shove a little bit. He doesn't need to be a great pass rusher. I think that kind of opens up other things. So I'm, I'd, I'd be perfectly fine with that. And that if he turns into that, I would absolutely love that. Right. 
Um, all right. So outside linebacker now, I kind of want to get into a little bit of the the drama salary cap stuff. Do you have a preference in terms of how they handle this? I, I know it's a tough question because it's we're talking salary cap type stuff. Yeah. But in terms of we we got four guys, we can't keep all four guys. What 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 do you, what, what would you like to see happen there? I mean, before the season, it was get Preston out of there, right? And then right. he turned in just a tremendous exactly. season. I mean, so right now, I mean, gut feeling if it's, I'd say two guys and it's Preston and it's Gary, I think uh, cap stuff, I don't pay too much attention to just because I don't know, right. that's what, that's what we have Ken Ingles for, right. you know, Ken does such a good job with that. I don't, I don't, I don't care about the salary cap. I think Z is likely gone. I would love to have him back, but also like a big guy who just got off a back injury that's highlight him for you <laughs> a little nervous as well so exactly. uh, Preston and Gary seems like the way that shakes out and then you hope uh you know Tipanale who showed a few flashes like maybe he turns into something which he won't Spider Garvin kind of turned in some good reps maybe he turns into something and he probably won't but I think it's Preston and Gary and you kind of uh you build around that I think sorry well who well what's that guy's name uh his nickname is Spider it's John no no Garvin. The, his nickname the, is Spider. No, no, oh, Tipa, I, I had to look this up because okay. his last name is worth as a G. Slow it it's down Tipa, for us real it's quick. Tipa Nalier. Okay. That's the it's first so time nice. anyone on this podcast has heard that said correctly on this podcast. So I just <laughs> want to make sure we do that one more time. I'm still going to call him Tipa Galea because it's just what I do. But for anybody that podcast, wants to say it right, there you go. Well, I tried to, I was doing a podcast and I was like, I want to try to say his name right. And I just, I just practiced it for like 15 minutes. I think like, it's Nali. This doesn't make any sense. I had to not look at the name because it makes no sense if I look at how the name is spelled. But. Listen to this guy. I have a podcast. so I wanted to do it right. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Just, just freaking blast me like that. Called All right. Acting. It's called every now and then acting like a professional. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about um, the inside linebackers here. Um, Isaiah McDuffel and whatnot. So Devondre Campbell kind of, I, I, again, I asked them about it. I, I'm guessing you don't have any um, reservations in saying that Devondre Campbell had a f- fantastic year. But Tremendous. in terms of with this particular defense, how big of a role did he play in making this defense what it was? He did well. I mean, I, I've, I've always said, um, it's, it somehow became that Dusty doesn't like inside linebackers, which which is not the case. I, I think I had a conversation a while ago, and I said something to the effect of, "If if the weakest position on your defensive inside linebacker, you're fine." Yeah, like that's 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 it's a position that I've never been a huge fan of investing overly in. I think Campbell has been a really good fit, um, but my thing has always been, listen, man, you get a good defensive line. Uh, that five man line, they played a lot. And then just you open up holes and then guys don't have to fight off blocks and they can kind of shoot some of those gaps. So no, you know, again, take nothing away from Campbell. I think Campbell played tremendous I think His instincts, his speed, you know, his, his, some of his coverage stuff was, you know, fine, I guess. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think he's a great coverage guy, but I think sideline, sideline speed, good instincts, able to shoot the gap in a way that like consistent, like we've seen you know, Chris Barnes did that, you know, sometimes this past mm-hmm. year, but not consistently. I think, I think Campbell, Great fit because if you're wanting to look at uh, some of the way they like to play defense, with some of that is five man line and one man linebacker, if they're dime or what some of the different alignments they have. So if he's your only guy, like in run fits, you run in a light box, and then if your if your linebacker gets washed out, like suddenly you got to commit a safety, and there's it's a whole cascade effect at that point. I think Campbell kind of allowed them to stay in the defense they wanted to stay in because of the way he plays. So I think, uh, yeah, he I think he, he again I don't I don't 
love paying an inside linebacker a ton. And I think you can approximate, you know, 70% of his value for probably quite a bit cheaper, but he makes this defense better. And he was, I mean, I kept saying, I think he's the best, best inside linebacker I've seen in Green Bay since Nick Barnett, I think probably is the last mm-hmm. linebacker I've seen that made that kind of impact. So basically you you want to try to get a job with Brian Gutekunst is what you're trying to do right now. You're, you're auditioning mm-hmm. for a job with Brian Gutekunst right now by saying, I, I, don't well, know I heard he listens it. to this. Yeah. So he oh, yes, know, yeah. he does. He has, we, we, we text all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, so it wouldn't break your heart if Devondre Campbell, if they couldn't quite work out a con, I mean, again, he did a great job, but it's yeah. not going to be the end of the world. The defense isn't going to crumble. The world isn't going to. Yeah. End. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd certainly like to have him back. I, defense. It's not a stretch to say defense is better with him than it, than it has been without him. Like we've seen that, but also with some of the cash stuff they're under, if they go cash strap for an inside linebacker, uh, that's, that's going to make me a little wary of that. Deal. Sure. Fair enough. No, no, I, it, it really is a good thing, especially as a Packer fan, because it, it really does seem like Brian Gutekunst is never going to uh, fully go all in and pay it ridiculous sum of money for an inside linebacker. It just seemed, yeah. I mean, it just seems like they have a similar philosophy to what, to what you're saying. We want to build up well, the defensive one, line, um, et, cetera, one of the, et cetera. I think one of the narratives too, from this year was, well, this, this shows why you invested in inside linebacker. And like, that's partially true, but also they grabbed him off the scrap heap in June. So like, right. there's not always going to be a guy like they're out there, but they all, they didn't spend a second round pick on him. So right. I, don't know. I think, I think you can, I think you can get guys to fit uh, into this defense in a way that maybe you couldn't before. Probably similar to the the argument against paying running backs too. You know, there's there's yeah. a lot of really talented running backs that you don't need to get first round elite talent guys. Oh, yeah. You just you get guys that are role players that can follow their blocks and and they can contribute and whatnot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, cornerback. I guess we're on to cornerback now. Uh, what what was your assessment of Eric Stokes, rookie cornerback? Man, I loved him. Yeah. He got lost a few times. Um, I, I think if you know he got bodied by DeAndre Hopkins in that Cardinals game on that touch. I say bodied, like just basically schooled, like just just got beat with a move, clean and simple. But I think some of the some of the concerns I had about him coming out of college was he doesn't know how to use his speed. Sometimes he'll he'll break too fast on a vertical route and then just get be completely lost at the top of the route and with no recovery speed because he's ten yards back because he's running full speed when the guy puts on the brakes. I think he showed a really good improvement here this year. So I mean, I think. Uh, he seems like, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but he seems like a guy who could be very, very good for a very long time. I think he's, you never know the, the, the rookie cornerbacks are, are tricky and sometimes they come in really bad and they get better. Usually you have a year, their first year is not very good. Then sometimes you have a year that's good. And that second year is not quite as good. They kind of take a dip yeah. as they kind of get tested a little more, but I think given, given how he was thrown in kind of when he wasn't necessarily expected to play that big of a role and watching his growth and watching how he played throughout the year. I mean, totally blew away any expectations I had for his first year uh, after after he was drafted. That's one of the things, too, is, you know, I, I mentioned yesterday or the day before or whatever, how I think Packer fans are kind of looking at the doom that is to come. We're going to lose everybody. We're gonna, yeah. I think we're kind of forgetting some of the exciting things, one of them being we have a duo in Eric Stokes and Jair Alexander coming forward. And although, like you said, we don't know what Eric Stokes is going to be, and that's part of the reason I wanted to ask you because I wasn't actually watching the guy. Um, I, I don't remember seeing a lot of games where people were catching passes on him. So I assumed he was doing a pretty good job, but, um, I mean, if, if Eric Stokes can pan out, if he can be a good corner, it's so rare and Packer fans above anybody should understand this. It's so rare to have two really good corners. And, and maybe that's a a question for you too, is what (laughs) sounds stupid and self-explanatory, but 
What does that do for a defense when you just got two guys you just can't throw against? I feel stupid even asking you that because it's so obvious. But no, but really, I mean, it's it's if you're offensive game planning, what the heck are you? I mean, you throw to your tight end and run the ball, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's huge. I think both those guys too are willing tacklers, which which is big when you're talking about like then trying to fit right. up against the run as well. So I think one of the fascinating things to me, I've I was always of the mind. I think that the studies kind of leapfrog each other. They go back and forth. I think PFF has done the vast majority of these, if I'm not mistaken. And for a while it was uh, the pass rush makes the secondary. Um, if you got a good pass rush, secondary isn't going to be being good, as good. And that like logically makes sense if you think about it. But over the past couple of years, more numbers have come out that an elite secondary actually makes up for the lack of any kind of uh, pass rush. So yeah. if you're, if you're prioritizing on defense and you're looking between pass rush and, and, uh, and good cornerback play, cornerback play kind of takes the cake there because it, I mean, just just based on, uh, you know, a thousand different things, I, I kind of don't feel like talking about at the moment, but based on kind of the structure of a defense and and all of this, all the stuff that goes into that, you can not only are you kind of holding uh, covering those guys longer, the ability to cover those guys longer and better by passing off assignments and kind of all the stuff that happens there. You make that quarterback hold the ball a little longer, um, especially a guy like Stokes, like some of the trickery stuff you can do with Stokes just because of his makeup speed yeah. kind of make put that hesitation in the quarter in the quarterback's mind. So, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't throw on them. You kind of bait guys into bad decisions. It's uh, an elite secondary covers up a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of other kind of downfalls on the defense there. So yeah, speaking of the rest of the secondary, the, uh, the safeties, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on it. It does seem as though there was a slight decline from Darnell Savage from what we saw from him uh, last year. I don't know if that's exactly what your observation of that was or not, but um, that seems to be the general consensus. Did, did you think that maybe he kind of took a step back this year? Yeah, at times. Um, I think some of his, uh, some of his paths aren't aren't great. Uh, some of the way he kind of reads the ball in the air seems like could use some work. I, I mean, he, he's at his best, and this is why I kind of like him in the system. It seems like he's at his best when they're that kind of too high look, and they spin down post snap, and he's in that robber, and then he okay. can just wreck stuff, wreck those right. crossers. You've seen him. You see him break down. I think of that Chiefs game. He just had like two or three just exploding like the ball's coming to Kelsey and just exploding on that ball. Like almost had a couple of picks off of that. So his instincts, I think his instincts as he, which it's weird that the speed that he has, I always think of him as like a kind of a rangier guy in the back end. seems like the speed and his instincts play better. The closer it gets to aligned for him. I think um, with okay. Amos on the back, I think they, they make a really good tandem, but I think, yeah, Savage, I think is one of those, like I, I, I anticipate almost like an Earl Thomas type, right? Like he's sitting back there and he's ranging. You can't throw on him because of that speed. And he has some of that, but th that's where some of his issues crop up. But when he can kind of get downfield and look kind of flat footed and read that stuff breaking in front of him and break on it, his speed is scary on some right. of that stuff. Yeah, the whole, the whole secondary. I mean, that's, what's cool about it too. You talk about Stokes and the cool things you can do because of his speed, but also Savage has similar mm -hmm. speed and Amos people forget has blazing speed and Jair and even Kevin King when he's out there has speed. So, I mean, the, 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 the ground that you can cover, if you think about, you know, the way I visualize it is, you know, you got the circles of area that they can cover. If you got more speed, those circles all grow. And when you got a bunch of guys with big, they can cover a lot more of the field that way. So it's just, it's such a scary defense. If, if they can do their job properly, which they have been, um, it's such a tough and, and just scary defense. But mm -hmm. speaking of that, the one guy that we didn't mention quite yet, um, he talked about Devondre Campbell and how, you know, if he leaves, probably not the end of the world or whatever. But the one guy I'm scared of losing is Adrian Amos. Um, mm -hmm. 
I don't know what your thought is in terms of his contribution to the team. It's not just the fall off, but I just feel like he makes this defense special. I love what he does, not just on the back end, but he's made so many clutch tackles in the backfield, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. third and a half a yard and he makes the tackle in the backfield. I just, I love what he brings to this defense. Um, what are your thoughts on him possibly not being back, and, and what do you think the impact of that would be? Do you think it's something we could we could recover pretty easily, or, or does that concern you? I think it'd be huge. I mean, I don't know if there's yeah. guys like that out there, but I think his his intelligence, uh, his instincts, uh, some of his closing speed, his tackling, his attitude. I I mean, I like you said, I think he he kind of he's the glue that holds some of this together. He's the guy that allows potentially some free ranging in front of him. He's the guy that that kind of if the it, say he's not going to allow bus back there because he's such he's a smart guy he puts himself in such a good position he reads the route so well he he can kind of see what's coming and i think he's a good teacher to some of those guys as well and so i mean i think you know i would like like i said devondre campbell if devondre campbell leaves that would suck because he played well and i'd like to see him in the system but that's not going to be the end of the world i think if Amos, if Amos is out, I think it's a, it's a fairly big step backwards just because of what he provides you I said, like leadership, what he provides you in terms of kind of pointing that stuff out, reading the stuff in front of him. Uh, some of those headier plays, like you said, in the, in the backfield, kind of uh, when he's down in the box and he's able to do that. I think the way him, I think him and Savage play off each other well uh, in terms of this system where they're kind of able to that too high look and one of them spins down and spins back and they make that interchangeable. So you're, even if you think you're going to get single high out of that double high look, you're not sure where that's coming from uh, just right. because both those guys are kind of uh, are both pretty good at, it. I think Amos is better than Savage and that deep roles we just talked about, but they're, but they're both, they can both be interchangeable on some of that. So I think that'd be, it certainly, I believe Amos would be a bigger blow than, than Campbell. If you left. I don't know if you have any, I mean, obviously you have opinions. I don't know if you have any in-depth opinions <laughs> on special teams whatsoever, um, but I'll just leave that up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it open-ended <laughs> for you and you can comment on whatever you want to comment on. Um, as far as Mason or Mo or uh, Corey Bohorquez, do you have any thoughts on that other than it was just garbage and it needs to get fixed? Then that one, it's garbage and okay. needs to be fixed. I mean, yeah, I mean, some of the blocking stuff they had issues with. I mean, we knew it was going to crop up. I didn't think it was going to crop up. Anyone who said, I thought I knew it was going to rear its head like this, man, no one's predicting a block punt and a block field goal in the same game. Like that, no, right. no one's predicting that. Um, right. I mean, they had issues with the field goal stuff all year with kind of it breaking down on the one side and then Mason's pushing them. And so is, is that uh, the hold? Is the hold bad or is he scared that the rush is coming in? So I've, I've special teams books, special teams clinics are a little harder to come by than, than offense sure. and defensive stuff. Right. Uh, so I don't know a ton about it. I just know. I know it looked real, real ugly, and I don't want it to look that ugly anymore. That's my in-depth take on it. Makes sense, man. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you get going. I got to, uh, well, I could lie and say I have some important things to do. I need to go to bed because I'm a 90-year-old <laughs> man. But I do, I do want to respect your time and let you get out of here, man. I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I, I had a lot of fun. Hopefully, you somewhat still enjoy my show after this. And uh, <laughs> yeah, no, this was great, man. Like I said, uh, love listening. Thanks for having me on. This was just an absolute blast, man. I really appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. All right. And uh, when you go back to pack a day, maybe take a day off once in a while so that I can take a day off and not worry about you guys catching me. All right. You think you can talk to talk to Andy and be like, hey, maybe we should negotiate a day off here. I'll see what I can do. I don't All have right. a lot of pull over there, I'll Ryan, but I'll see no. what I can, I can get for you. Brother. All right. See what you can do. You have a good night. You too. See you, man.